90% of the They didn't see you. The marketing automation discussion. Welcome to the marketing automation discussion. I'm your host, Benjamin Bowman. Today, we will be continuing with part two of our episode with Paul McKeever on boosting website conversions using chatbots. If you haven't yet listened to part one, I highly recommend it as Paul goes into great detail on the strategy behind chatbots and how to implement a chatbot strategy for your business. Without further delay, here's part two. If you don't mind, actually, could we work through an example situation? Let's say we have a B2B SaaS that's, say, $29 a month. Um, how would you tackle this with the strategy you've outlined? So you would follow the approach that you would use with any marketing strategy. So uh, this is exactly what I do. I would map out the current situation. So you'd need to understand what marketing challenges um, exist generally in the business what's happening with the the business overall. So I'd map out the current situation and I would work with the business stakeholders that I um, I have around me to set some objectives. So I would say, well, look, what are we trying to achieve here? What does good look like? Where would we like to be in 90 days time? And let's say for a B2B SaaS company, your objectives are going to be things like, in marketing generally, going to be like growing the top of funnel, but you said this customer has plenty of traffic already. So there's probably going to be around increasing conversion and it may also be around increasing the average selling price, the, the amount of money each customer represents by helping them select maybe not just the lowest cost plan, but maybe some higher uh, cost plans that are right for them. So let's pick those as two objectives, increase conversion and change the sales mix to have some higher or some higher value orders in it as well. So to do that, the strategy that I would pick to increase conversion would be I would go through the site and I would make a list of probably the top five pages in terms of incoming traffic. Because I know those are people who have visited the site for a reason. So I'd pick those five pages, let's say, as the scope of my project. And I'd go through that brainstorming exercise that we're talking about. So I would start to look at each of those pages. What's the visitor intent here? You know, What is it that we can do to make the content on this page more relevant or more clear, what distractions might they be worried about? And distractions can be things like, I wonder if they have a special offer. And that's a distraction because it's a question the customer has in their mind that might take them away to go and look for a coupon code, for example. So maybe a promotion at a certain page might help with that. Or it could be an anxiety. So in this uh, B2B software company, you will find there's going to be a set of common questions that people ask uh, a very common question in B2B software is going to be things like GDPR compliance. You know, what are the ways that you're going to handle any data that lives in the system? And at this point, most companies have really good processes and governance and answers around those things, but it's not super interesting content. It doesn't necessarily happen to be surfaced on a, a public web page where it needs to be, but it can be an obstacle, especially for businesses in the EU, in the EU who take data seriously. Something's going to hold them back, and if it isn't present, they might assume, well, I don't, um, uh, I'm not going to get that support here and I, I'm not going to be able to comply with GDPR, so I'm going to bounce. So I'd go through, say, each of those five pages, I would generate ideas to increase urgency or to reduce the factors affecting or holding people back from buying. And I'd just brainstorm some ideas of what the chatbots might do generally. I'd get my sheet of A4 paper, 
I divide it into thirds and say, right on each page, I'm going to think about having at least one chatbot. So that's probably going to be in a B2B software company. Those pages are going to be things like the homepage. It's going to be a pricing or, or sales page where you want to get in touch. And then there's going to be probably an interesting piece of content that's drawing people in. There's going to be some kind of pillar page where you're just ranking for SEO. These are the kind of pages you're going to be looking at. So on the homepage, not knowing anything about this company, you're going to be thinking about wayfinding. That at that point, you know, people are arriving, but you're not sure what their intent is. So the way that I would have my first column of you know, how do I connect with that person filled out would be probably to ask an open-ended question, which could be something like, just how can I help you today? Open-ended questions are great because they intrigue people. They get you thinking about um, what you're trying to do and they, they work really well. You might also consider to use something that's more kind of like a quick reply format. So this is something that we do in continually. I'm sure you can do it in other products too, where if you ask a question like that, you'll find there might be three or four common paths that people are interested in when they need help or they want to engage. Uh, and you can kind of list those out as immediate buttons for someone to reply to. Uh, so that would be how I'd connect. Then in the conversation flow, what I'd be thinking about is, well, if my goal is to increase conversion, I really need to understand the buyer intent here. So I might build some engagement that you know, extend that connection with some emojis, uh, some gifts, as we talked about, into the flow, if that's appropriate. It could be not just emojis. I also see people include short videos in their chatbot flows, which is really good for answering questions or explaining things. But, but you want to understand buyer intent, and that's going to mean answering uh, questions. So your chatbot's not a survey. So kind of an easy pitfall to fall into is to kind of you know make it impossible to get through the experience by asking so many questions that people give up. So I, I'd only ask two or three questions max because you can get enough information if it's thoughtful with a multiple choice question that asks so if i was on this b2b company uh, b2b software company charging 29 dollars a month they will have certain business problems that customers really resonate with so if i, I think about you know we, we were talking before about you know inspiration and i, I love the way that wistia uh, have just expressed themselves they build that authentic connection we're talking about and so if you're looking at a um, a company like Wistia and you're thinking about, well, I want to pay for video hosting. You're probably paying for it for a, a few different reasons. One might be that you're looking to distribute your content. So you need to publish it elsewhere. One might be that you want to embed it on a landing page and increase conversion on your site, but you don't want all the junk that comes with YouTube when you embed it onto your site and so on. So I'd ask a multiple choice question asking about, you know, what made you think about our video hosting service today? and offer some options to see what it is the person is actually interested in. Now you have a bit of understanding of buyer intent. Um, now you mentioned this is a $29 a month product. So you're probably not going to want to route that person to a sales rep because the cost of having a salesperson respond as a human is going to be expensive. And you know maybe there are some companies where that works, but generally that sounds like a self-service approach. So you're going to want to think about, okay, well, for this person at their stage in the funnel, what's the next thing they could do that's going to move them forward? So depending on their intent, depending on what, what you've done in the conversation, that could be getting them to take an action. So it could be providing some useful content. So if they said, well, I'm interested in putting videos on my landing page, you might have a guide on, let's say, an ebook on how impressive video content doubles your conversion. 
And you can offer to share that with someone in return for their email address because you now know that's the appropriate thing. That's much better than having a general option to have a lead magnet on your page because it's now contextual to the problem the person has. If they have a different business problem, you can serve them up something else. Now, I mentioned a second objective would be increasing the average sales price by shifting the sales mix to maybe move people not just to the $29 plan, but maybe you have, you know, I think Wistia as an example, they have plans that start at a really low price point and go way up to like two or $300 probably. And so lots of businesses are like that. And even though there's a low entry point, at some point, you know, that business is maybe just going to be, that potential customer is just going to be much bigger in their scale. And they're going to want, you know, maybe to serve a lot more traffic. In this example, they have a lot more videos, or maybe they need some kind of custom features around, you know, I don't know, domains for their CDN or, or whatever, or security features, whatever it happens to be. And so if you can understand the buyer characteristics that map to those um, higher price points. If you find, so in the Wistia example, I'm not sure what those would be, but if you found that uh, people who buy your 199 or 299 a month plan, they tend to have a certain number of people or they have a certain uh, feature requirement, you can uncover that with a, uh, a multiple choice question as well. And so instead of then serving those people, the general ebook on... Um, how to increase conversion with video, you could switch channel and say, ah, this person is a really high value visitor. We should connect and you could offer some free advice. So that would be how I would do it. I'd offer a free strategy session to that person on, you know, would you like some tips on how to increase conversion? Because you now know that there's someone who could turn into a much higher value customer. You can connect your calendar and they get a meeting booked directly with you. You can control when you're available. Um, so if you have someone on your team who's maybe juggling multiple things, it doesn't have to be all day. And that's how it's start to filter out those higher uh, value visitors as well. You could also do things like you might find there are certain pages on your site that appeal to those visitors. So maybe you have a page about a certain feature that resonates with that audience. You'd build up up there. You might have a pricing page. That's a great way to fish for those leads there too. So if you go back to it, the general approach was you build out your kind of marketing structure. You think about the current situation, the objectives you're trying to achieve. And then the strategy is really what's the scope of the bots that I'm going to build. Look at some good examples of four or five pages where you could start homepage bots, probably going to be wayfinding. You use each bot to connect uh, with the visitor, build some understanding of what they're trying to do, and then get them to take action at the end, whether that's downloading an ebook uh, or for those high value visitors, actually talking one-to-one with someone on your team who can help them and maybe move them along in their d- decision. So that's a kind of, uh, that's a, a quick answer on how I do that. Just quickly, how do you personally go about ordering the questions or options uh, that you prompt visitors with? So I would do it based on priority for the visitor. And what I've observed is that um, often people don't scroll the full length of a page. And so, of course, some people will. But it's very common to see questions that are... So if you imagine if it wasn't a chatbot, if it was live chat, so let's pretend we're doing all of this with a person, it's very common when you have live chat to see people ask questions about things that are actually answered on the page. Because, And that can be for lots of reasons. So it can be that they just didn't scroll far enough to find that content. It can be that 
they didn't expect that content to be on this page because it didn't map to the context or the task they had in mind. So they just weren't expecting to see it. It can be that the content isn't written clearly enough. So you think that, you know, as the site owner, that a GDPR stamp to give people confidence is going to be what they're looking for. But that might not mean anything to the visitor. They might see that and think, well, what does that mean? And they might have a need for more specificity. So they might want to know not just that you think you're GDPR compliance, but that you have a data processing agreement that you can send them. And so what I see often is in, in live chat, people will ask questions about things that are on the page anyway. And so if the topics are important to the customer, that's why I would include them in the conversation flow if you're building a chatbot to replicate this. And the fact that there's duplication doesn't really matter because what happens is um, people naturally gravitate to the things that are holding them back from buying. And actually, it could even be better than that, that people might see your GPR stamp and think, oh, great, that's something they cover and I need more information about it. And they don't want to sift through everything that you've said about it. They just want to know, how do I get, as an example, the data processing agreement? So um, all you're really doing there is serving people's needs. And although there's some duplication, you know, that's not a downside. That's, that's reinforcement. And I think it, it just helps people move forward. And how do you gather these questions? Do you basically ask your client success or customer service teams what comes up most often? That is right. And I think you know most businesses have a good understanding of the questions that customers ask, because if they don't ask them through live chat, they ask them by email or they call you and they ask them. And so you kind of build a good intuitive model, I think, uh, of what customers are interested in. And that might not be correct, and research can always improve that, but there's always a good starting point, I find, you know, where customers are always good at asking about things they want to know, and that can be improved over time. But you, you can look at those sort of sources of, you know, someone's inbox or the live chat that you're using to start off. Gotcha. Turning to the elements that might detract from the chatbot, how do you see chatbots working together with lead magnets? You know, when would you suggest people use a chatbot in place of a lead magnet, for example? So the answer to that is in the visitor type and intent and what they're trying to do. So where lead magnets perform really well is if you know there's a common friction or pain point that resonates broadly for the people who are going to see this offer. And it's a low-cost way of pulling them one step further into the funnel. Because it's a resource, it's digital, there's no human cost uh, involved there at all. And it's a kind of universal first step. So those tend to work well really early on. Um, But as someone moves forward in the decision-making process and they're starting to build an understanding of the problem they have and the solution that you offer and the value you can bring to them, those general references tend to be less persuasive because I kind of now have an understanding of the landscape So I I wouldn't suggest using a call to action with like a bot who says, can I um, book a demo for you for people who aren't qualified? Because you'll find your calendar will fill up with people who are just saying, yeah, I'm just generally interested in this topic and I'd like to know a little bit more about it, but aren't necessarily ready to buy. So if you found, if you went through your kind of um, brainstorming process and you found there's a certain point, like a pricing page where you have these high intent visitors or you've built an understanding of that visitor on another page and you've qualified that this is someone who we should be talking to right now, that's where those actions come in because they're more expensive. And so you're giving up someone's time, which is something you're going to be careful to do. 
And not only is it giving up someone's time, you want to make sure that the person is qualified because otherwise that, you know, they might not be motivated to attend the call anyway. So I would use those as a kind of like a, a high impact, more selectively deployed tool sort of later in the buying journey. Yeah, perfect. And when it comes to building out the rest of the tech stack, where should people be looking at integrating chatbots? So we talked about booking demos and, of course, connecting your calendar so that you have an automated scheduling assistant is a great one. So that's a start for me. The The others that spring to mind would be you're going to have people interacting with these bots, telling you about their needs, giving you information about their intent. And so, of course, if you want to market to them outside of the chatbot, we talked a little bit about GDPR, you actually will want to capture their consent to be marketed to. But assuming you do that, then adding them to your email list is going to be a, a no-brainer. So if you're using tools like MailChimp or ActiveCampaign or whatever you know, marketing platform you use, you're going to want to be doing some list building. And like taking ActiveCampaign as an example, what's amazing about it is you, know, you can use things like tags so that you can have automations triggered based on the on-site behavior with the chatbot. So you can build some really intelligent follow-up flows so that's a really high impact area I would be looking at for sure. You might also have a CRM or a system of record that tracks all your customer data. So you might have you know, Salesforce in a big company, something like HubSpot uh, or lots and lots of others in a smaller company where you just want to have all your customer records coming in directly. There are other tools you could connect your chatbot with too, which will you know, resonate with, with different people. So you, you might, for example, use something like heat mapping or, or sort of visitor analysis tools. Uh, I know a lot of people use Full Story, And one of the interesting things you can do early on is connect uh, your chatbot with Full Story, So you can watch some of the chatbot interactions in the same way that you're watching your Full Story recordings of people on the site too. So you can get some analysis and information um, you're going to want to automatically connect to Google Analytics uh, so that you can get some events about interaction with the chatbot as part of your analysis of the funnel overall. So gosh, lots of tools you can connect with. Very interesting. I think this has given a pretty good view of the practical aspects of putting your bot in place. But for those who've already got a bot in place, how would you suggest uh, they go about analyzing the performance? So I'd firstly look at... Um, what percentage of people are actually engaging with the chatbot? So depending on the format that you're using and you know, with, with lots of tools and, and with continually, there are different formats you can use. So it can be anything from that kind of a more intrusive, quick reply type format where there's some buttons you can click. You could have the, the message, like the open-ended question we talked about, you know, how can I help? Or you could have just a little button, an icon on the page. And so if you don't get people to connect, then they don't see the great flow that you've got to help them. So the first thing I'll be looking at is, are we connecting with people? Is it the right format for where they're at? Because sometimes more intrusive is, is good because it's more helpful, but but if this is their 10th page on the site, you probably don't want to continually do that. So it could be the text in your open-ended question isn't you know, resonating with them either. So I'd measure the amount of engagement with the bot generally and how many people are connecting with it. And then I'd look at, probably a single measure of engagement. So not every business will work like this. So, in, you know, for example, in the example of the hairdresser I mentioned who I'd seen had a chatbot, they probably capture a phone number as a 
primary identifier for the customer. But most of the time, it's going to be email address. But I'd, I'd look to see how many customers became known customers or known prospects. So they gave us a piece of identifying information. And it's a good test because generally it means that there's been some exchange of value and they're moving forward in the decision. Uh, you can still be helping people who don't give you that information for sure, but I would sort of isolate that as a kind of key metric. And what that can tell you then is that you either have any connection problem that people aren't interested in the bot because it doesn't seem to be helping them with what they're trying to do, or they're opening the bot, but the content of the flow isn't helping them because they're not becoming a qualified lead essentially. And then that tells you where to start to focus your attention on, you know, maybe you need to redesign the flow and look at some drop-off analysis, or maybe you need to look at the, the, the way you connect with them in the first place. Understood. A bit of a fun one, perhaps. But um, what do you find are some of the biggest mistakes people make when using chatbots? Oh, biggest mistake number one is to build one chatbot, make it really complex to serve an entire site, and and then it becomes very difficult to maintain and adapt. And it's a shame because it can be a lot of work that doesn't pay off. Uh, so getting that organization and the plan right to begin with, I say that's mistake number one. I think mistake number two is that it's hard to be disciplined with all things in marketing. So like with your emails, you can always be running A-B tests in emails and you can always be making improvements, but you know it's hard to be disciplined to do that. And with your chatbot, um, a big mistake is to build a version of the bot that you think is helpful for customers and then come back to it a year later to see, you know, to see how is it performing. Generally, you're going to be getting insights and, and ideas from the customer engagement you could be making changes every week potentially, but having some operating frequency where you, you look at the bot over a period of time to make it more effective it is really important because otherwise you're going to be seeing there are places where people fall out or there are gaps that could be improved and uh, you're not taking those opportunities. Gosh, managing chatbots all day, that would be a nice role to have. Um, do you have any suggestions around how much resources a team should dedicate here or you know, what do you think is a good frequency for reviewing performance? Yeah, it's it's honestly, it's a bit of a function of the team size and structure. So if you have, I mean, I know of a, a company and they have like a chatbot manager, someone in the, in the team whose only job is to manage chatbots. And I imagine their cadence is they're making changes daily and weekly, but they're getting, you know, that business is making a huge ROI on those bots, which justifies the headcount. And so... I think in that case, it sort of it makes a lot of sense. Most businesses don't have that luxury, and what I see generally is that this is an extra responsibility for someone who's doing some other work as well. So there, I would say once a month is a good frequency because it's something you can sustain for a long period of time, even if you're juggling lots of competing priorities. You know, taking a, a given amount of time once a month seems manageable. Excellent. I think we've covered a lot of ground today, so thank you. But just before we wrap up, for people who've been listening and want to learn more about Continually or yourself, what's the best way to connect? So you can always find more about Continually. We're on the web at continual.ly and uh, you can see us on Twitter at usecontinually is our our Twitter handle. I'm personally on LinkedIn. Uh, So you'll find me, it's just uh, Paul McKeever and... If you search for me there, I'd be very happy to connect. I love chatting about uh, chatbots. I love talking about marketing and, and helping visitors generally. And 
would be very happy to follow up. Paul, thank you again for being so generous with your time today. I know it's taken quite a chunk uh, of your morning to go through these questions, but I'm sure everyone is going to get a lot of practical insights from you. So thank you. Hey, thank you, Ben.